As AI continues to revolutionize our world, there's a critical conversation we can't ignore. AI safety and security. And that's where HackerOne's AI red teaming comes into play, rigorously testing AI models to prevent them from being misled or exploited. HackerOne employs over 2 million ethical hackers, and 750 of them specialize in prompt hacking and other AI security and testing. So HackerOne isn't just theorizing, they're actively safeguarding AI's future. Just recently, a team unearthed over 100 vulnerabilities in just two weeks. So whether you're at the helm of a startup or steering product innovation at a large company, it's time to prioritize AI security. Visit HackerOne.com slash AI for more. Again, HackerOne.com slash AI. This episode is sponsored by Porkbun.com. Porkbun is a refreshingly different domain name registrar that's different from the other ones like GoDaddy or Namecheap. They've got low prices on hundreds of different domain extensions. They've got everything from .com domains to really cool ones like .pro, .dev, .xyz. Every domain name at Porkbun comes with tons of freebies too, like SSL certificate, who is privacy, DNS, URL forwarding, and hosting trials. Because why pay for things that should be free, right? All these incredible features and tools are backed by incredible support, 365 days a year, and more five-star reviews on Trustpilot from real customers than anyone else. Look, you can get a dollar off your next domain name from Porkbun and see why they're the best domain name register around by using our code. Just go to porkbun.com forward slash rocketchipfm24. That's porkbun, P-O-R-K-B-U-N dot com forward slash rocketchipfm24. You'll save a dollar on your next domain. This episode is brought to you by Gigantic. At Gigantic, you can level up your product skills through live small group cohort-based trainings. We're incredibly excited to welcome you to our next cohort of our product strategy training kicking off in January of 2024. This course will take you through the frameworks that product leaders use at companies like eBay, DoorDash, Groupon, Rent the Runway in order to scale their teams. It's taught by Ben Foster, a friend of this podcast, who is the former chief product officer at Whoop. So come join us. Go to gigantic.is. That's gigantic.is. And save your seat for our January cohort. Your potential is gigantic, and we're here to help you reach it. Go to gigantic.is to reserve your seat today. So as many have now heard, Tony Shea, the longtime CEO of Zappos, passed away on Friday from complications from a house fire. Yeah, he was only 46 years old. So in honor, we're going to explore the history of the company he helped build, Zappos. That's right. Zappos, the online shoe retailer that is famous for its customer service, where customer service reps are encouraged to go above and beyond. And when we say above and beyond. Yeah, we really mean it. One time, a customer ordered shoes for his wedding, and they were shipped to the wrong address. So Zappos overnighted him a new pair of shoes so that he would have them for his wedding the next day. They then refunded him in full 
for this inconvenience. Yeah, and then there was a time where Tony Shea took some clients out for a night on the town. When they went back to the hotel room, one of the clients craved pizza, but room service had already closed and there's nothing open in Santa Monica at the time. So Shea, so confident in his company's 24-hour customer service culture, advised the clients to call the Zappos customer service team as he knew that they would help. And although the customer rep didn't deliver the pizza himself, he did find three pizza restaurants that were open and placed the order for them. <laughs> Which is just absolutely incredible. But this level of customer service was at the heart of Tony's philosophy on building an everlasting brand. We'll talk more about this just in a bit. But first, let's roll the intro. Welcome to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective. We are your hosts, Michael Saka. And I'm Mike Belsito. So Tony Shea was born in Urbana, Illinois. His mother and father were immigrants from Taiwan who met at graduate school at the University of Illinois. His father was a chemical engineer and his mother was a social worker. Shea's family moved to California when he was five, where he grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area. In 1995, Shea graduated from Harvard University with a degree in computer science. While there, he managed the Quincy House Grill, selling pizza to students in his dorm. The story actually begins in college uh, with pizza. I was running a pizza business on the ground floor of my dorm in, in college, and uh, with my roommate, Sanjay, he and I decided to invest in pizza ovens. And it's this area that was set aside. We probably had three or 400 students in our dorm, and the way it would work is every year, there'd be a new set of students that would run that uh, grill. It was called the grill area downstairs. And so one year, we, had, we were the highest bidders, and we bought it from the owners the, from the previous year, and we decided to invest in pizza ovens, and we uh, hired other students, set the menus, dealt with uh, suppliers, and so on. And occasionally I was making the pizzas myself. And this guy named Alfred, who actually is the chief financial officer today at Zappos, he would stop by every night and order a large pepperoni pizza from me. And this is actually how we met. And to me, it actually wasn't that weird he was doing it because I had heard about his reputation, and he was known to actually eat a, really eat a lot of food. He had nicknames like uh, Monster or Human Trash Compactor. And <laughs> you know, literally, there'd be nights when there'd be 10 of us late night at a Chinese restaurant, and he would just eat, finish everyone's leftovers. So you know, not that weird. But then sometimes a few hours later, he'd come by and order another large pepperoni pizza from me. And I was like, wow, this boy can really eat. Well, I found out several years later Alfred was taking the pizzas upstairs and selling them off by the slice. So <laughs> that's why he's our chief financial officer right today. After college, Shea worked for Oracle Corporation. After five months, he left to co-found the Link Exchange Advertising Network. In the days before Google, Yahoo was the dominant search company. They had the vast majority of all search query traffic and seemed completely invincible. The other top search drivers were Excite, AltaVista, Netscape, MSN, and AOL. While the big guys were collectively ignoring search, a few startups were acutely aware of its strategic importance, those who catered to small businesses. Right. At the time, this meant ViaWeb, which was Paul Graham's startup. Submit it, Scott Bannister's startup, and Link Exchange, which was Tony Shea's startup. Microsoft saw the value of an advertising network that was focused on small businesses largely outside of Silicon Valley. In November 1998, when Link Exchange had 100 employees, it was acquired by Microsoft for $265 million. 
Here's Tony on the acquisition. What a lot of people don't know is the real reason why we ended up selling the company. And the real reason is because it just wasn't a fun place to work at anymore. And the company culture just went completely downhill. I remember when it was just five or 10 of us, it was your typical.com. It was a lot of fun. We were working around the clock, sleeping under our desks, had no idea what day of the week it was, uh, trying to remind ourselves to shower occasionally, uh, but lots of fun. And as we were growing, we hired friends and friends of friends. And I remember there was a friend of mine that was on a cross-country trip from New York, and uh, this was all out of our apartment here in uh, San Mateo at the time. And he stopped by to help out, and then uh, he actually never made his way back home. He ended up joining the company. And that worked really well until we got to about 20 people. Uh, we were having a lot of fun. And, and then we ran into a really big problem when we got to 20 people. And the problem was basically we ran out of friends. And so we're, we're trying to figure out, OK, what do we do now? We didn't know how to hire people. And so we started just figuring it out on our own. And we ended up hiring, actually, all the people with the right skill sets and experience, but they weren't all necessarily great for the company culture. And by the time we got to 100 people, I myself dreaded getting out of bed in the morning to go to the office. And that's kind of a weird feeling, because this was a company I co-founded. And I felt like, you know, if I felt that way, how must all the other employees feel? So that's really what led us to, to sell the company to Microsoft. I could see how a lot of his ideas for the culture at Zappos were probably born out of avoiding creating a similar culture. Absolutely. And with the money from that acquisition, Shea co-founded Venture Frogs, an incubator and investment firm, with his business partner, Alfred Lin. That same Alfred Lin from Harvard. That's right. That's right. Now, with Venture Frogs, they invested in a variety of startups, including Ask Jeeves and OpenTable. I, by the way, I was an Ask Jeeves guy back in the day. I remember <laughs> Ask Jeeves. Uh, but there was another notable one, by the way. It was in 1999, Nick Swinmum approached Shay and Lin with the idea of selling shoes online. Apparently, Tony wasn't even a fan of the idea initially until... Until Swinmum mentioned that footwear in the U.S. is a $40 billion market, and 5% of that was being sold by paper mail-order catalogs. Here's Alfred Lin from a talk at the University of Berkeley in 2013. Zappos was founded in 1999, and uh, it was founded when Nick Swimmer, our founder, was looking for a particular pair of shoes, and he went to a mall in uh, South San Francisco. And he went from store to store trying to look for these particular shoes. I think they were Airwalk Desert Boots. I don't know if you've seen them, but they're actually kind of ugly. Um, but he went to one store, couldn't find the right size. He went to another store, couldn't find the right style. And he went to a third store, and they didn't have the right color. So he went home empty-handed and frustrated. So he started looking online and uh, did some searches. Uh, I think Google is just starting. Up back then, he went, he went and did a search and uh, couldn't really find anything either online. So it's 1999, so he figured he would just quit his day job um, and start a company. And then um, he actually called me and Tony. Tony and I were um, starting, we had just started a small incubation company and in a, in a venture fund and left us one of the most interesting voicemails that I've ever heard because he started out saying, hey, I have this crazy idea. I want to sell shoes on the internet. And I think either Tony and I 
had our finger on the delete button because we thought it was crazy too. But then he shared with us how big the market was, which was there was $40 billion of footwear being sold in just the United States, and back then 5% was already being done by mail order. Now, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know that the internet was going to be bigger than mail order, so we figured that that was a pretty good thing to start. So we both invested in the company, and uh, over time we both really fell in love with the company, and we ended up uh, working at the company. But the original idea was actually because Nick couldn't find a particular pair of shoes that he wanted to offer the greatest selection that you could find on the internet. And over time, we have changed that to providing the best online service possible. And we eventually want to be associated with the brand that, is, that provides the absolute best customer service. And hopefully one day, nobody will actually even think about us as a footwear company. So today, uh, we do sell primarily footwear. We, uh, we started selling uh, apparel last year. We sold uh, handbags. We started handbags a few years ago and we're getting into all sorts of different uh, accessories like sunglasses and timing devices. But uh, we believe that we're trying to provide the best online shopping, uh, shopping experience possible. And with that, you know, we provide basically free shipping both ways. Free, and currently we ship everything overnight. So we're trying to satisfy the instant gratification that, you, that we all have when we're purchasing something. You want, you want to buy something, you want to get it tomorrow. So something interesting was there. They started out as a shoe retailer to sell shoes because their founder couldn't find the pair he was looking for but they quickly transitioned to a customer service focused company. This gave them a competitive advantage that inventory and price wouldn't be able to give them. That's right, price, especially for physical goods, it's a margins race to the bottom. And inventory, it's an advantage, but it's incredibly hard to maintain consistently. But amazing customer service was a foundation that they could reliably deliver on. More on this core philosophy of Tony Shea's right after a quick word from our sponsors. When Rain Wilson realized he had a special gift for talking people to sleep, he had two choices. Construct a massive speaker that would blast his voice to every person in the country or invent a talking pillow. AT&T Business eventually talked him into the pillow thing. And backed by a reliable network, the only network with built-in security controls, Sleep With Rain was a hit. Take your ideas to the moon and beyond at business.att. That's business.att.com. So before the break, we were discussing Tony Shea's core philosophy on customer service as a foundational focus for the Zappos team. In fact, later in that same talk from the University of Berkeley, Tony takes the mic and outlines some of his key learnings in e-commerce. Lesson number one. Lesson number one is that the e-commerce business is uh, built on repeat customers. So Alfred gave you our stats on our repeat customers, but we didn't always focus on repeat customers. Actually, when Zappos first started back in 99 during the dot-com boom, we pretty much did what all the other uh, internet companies were doing back then. We spent a lot of uh, money on high-profile advertising. For example, we bought the uh, billboard behind home plate for the Giants. And uh, that cost us, I think, $75,000. We tracked it, and we got four customers out of that. So, you know, and, and we did it all in the name of, you know, acquiring market share and, uh, you know, building a prof great profile. 
And you know, that's actually a really good strategy if your goal is to go out of business as quickly as possible. So we stopped that when uh, we realized that, you know, just looking at, even though every other dot-com at the time, it seemed like, was doing this, you know, we kind of realized that this, we just couldn't make the numbers work. So we uh, kind of scaled back and instead of trying to worry about new customers, we just focused on, okay, what can we do to make customers that we already have become repeat customers? How do we make them happier? How do we get them to come back again and again? So contrary to popular beliefs at the time, Zappos focused on repeat customers versus customer acquisition. The philosophy is that it would be less expensive in the long run to focus on retention and word-of-mouth advertising than spending to constantly acquire new customers for a business with low retention. Now, Zappos doesn't just say, let's give great customer service. Uh, no. It, Tony made sure that they live to this tenant every day, making it a focus of the company no matter what role you are hired to do. Here's Tony on the onboarding strategy from an interview with the Wall Street Journal. After someone's hired, they actually spend the first four weeks before they start the actual job that they were hired for going through the exact same training as our call center reps. And uh, that includes uh, going over company history, our philosophy about customer service, and uh, the importance of company culture. And then everyone's on the phones for two weeks actually taking real calls from real customers. And, and so it's Pretty, and pretty hard to fake your way through that entire four weeks. And we've actually had people that uh, we've had to let go during those four weeks before they started the actual job. Another thing we do is a lot of our job candidates are from out of town and we actually will pick them up from the airport in a Zappos shuttle, give them a tour, and then they'll spend the rest of the day interviewing. Well, at the end of the day of interviews, the recruiter will circle back with the shuttle driver and ask how he or she was treated. and. It doesn't matter how well the day of interviews went, if the shuttle driver wasn't treated well, then uh, we won't hire that person. So everyone in the company goes through a full month of customer service training to build empathy, compassion, understanding for their culture and customers. And you had mentioned that customer service pizza story before, right? Yeah. Well, this is really the pinnacle example of just how serious this notion of good customer service was taken internally. Here's Tony Shea reciting that same story from a 2010 talk at Stanford University. So I wanted to tell another pizza story and uh, this actually happened a few years ago in Santa Monica, California. And I was actually at a Skechers conference, and uh, it's one of the brands we work with, one of the footwear brands. And it was a long day, and at the end of the day, a bunch of us decided to go bar hopping. There were three people from Skechers and three people from Zappos, including myself. I'd never been bar hopping in the Santa Monica area before. So we went to the first bar, and someone ordered a round of drinks, and then someone, I can't remember who, decided to order a round of shots. So been a long day. We took the shots, finished the round of drinks. And then we went to the second bar. And someone else ordered a round of drinks to pay back for that first round of drinks. And someone else ordered a second round of shots to pay back for that first round of shots. And we're looking at it, and we determined that you can't waste alcohol. So we <laughs> took the shots and finished the drinks. And then went to the third bar. And I'm actually unclear how many shots or drinks we had after that. But what I do know is that in California, last call is, I think it's 2 a.m. Is it 2 a.m.? OK. I, I'm from Vegas, so last call isn't in the dictionary there. But um, so it's 2 a.m. And uh, anyway, so finally, lights go on. I don't know how many bars we've been to. And finally, start walking back to the hotel room. And as we're walking back to the hotel room, 
one of the girls from Skechers asked if we wanted to all share a pepperoni pizza. And she was so excited. And we're like, yeah, sure. And she's like, oh, I'm so excited. I actually checked it out on the room service menu before we left. It was on page 17, item number two. And I know when it comes, it's going to be super hot. And I don't want to burn the roof of my mouth. So I'm just going to blow on it and let the aroma slowly waft into my nose. And she kept talking about it and kept super excited. And it was only a five-minute walk, but it seemed much longer than that because she would not stop talking about this pepperoni pizza. So anyways, we finally wind up in someone's hotel room. She's super excited, calls room service, and then 10 seconds later, hangs up the phone all dejected. And I ask her, what's wrong? And she said, apparently, this hotel doesn't deliver hot food after 11 PM. And she was like, oh, you have no idea how much I was craving that pepperoni pizza. And I was like, I think we all have a pretty good idea of how you were craving. <laughs> And, but she was still really sad, and I'm trying to think about, okay, how do you cheer up? And then I tell her the story of like how in college I used to make pizza, and this guy knew Malford, and, and this is how we met. And at the end of my story, she looks at me, and she's like, that's so not helpful right now. <laughs> and so you know, Fred, who's also from Zappos, he and I are kind of brainstorming, and then we come up with the best idea ever. We say, oh, call Zappos, call Zappos. We're all about the best customer service. We'll take care of you. And really, in our inebriated state of mind, we thought that was the funniest thing ever. And so, <laughs> so she actually takes us up on our dare and uh, you know, puts it on speakerphone and uh, you know, says, rep answers, thanks for calling Zappos. How can I help you? The rest of us are in the background trying to like, be quiet and not, not laugh. And, and she's like, oh, thank goodness you're answered. I know it's 3 AM, but I'm in Santa Monica right now in this hotel that doesn't serve hot food after 11 PM. Been craving this pepperoni pizza on the room service menu. I'm looking at it right now, page 17, item number two. Like, Is there anything you can do for me? Well, first, there was an awkward silence. And then, and then the rep said, you know you called Zappos, right? Um, we sell shoes, we sell clothes, uh, but we don't sell pizza yet. And she's like, I know, but I heard you're all about the best customer service. And the rep said, OK, hold on. And put us on hold for two minutes, and then came back listing the five closest places in the Santa Monica area that were still open and delivering pizza at that hour. Now, well, first of all, I. I hesitate a little to tell the story because I don't want all of you to start calling Zappos and <laughs> ordering pizza from us. But you know, clearly we don't have a process and procedure for late-night drunk pizza orders. But uh, it just goes back to, I just think it's a fun story to illustrate that if you get the culture right, then most of the other stuff, like delivering great customer service and building your brand one story at a time, one phone call at a time, just happens naturally on its own. And you know, these types of stories we are creating at Zappos literally thousands and thousands of times every single day. And that's how we've built our brand over the years. Now, you might be saying, why are they talking so much about customer service on a product podcast? Which, okay, fair question. Yeah, but I think it's worth considering. Customer service was a product inside of Zappos. And customer service is a viable retention strategy that's been proven. PMs can lean on this when they're looking for levers for growth. Maybe you don't take it quite as far as Zappos, but their story is an amazing case study to point to if this is an argument that you want to make internally. Now, Tony didn't stop there in pushing the culture at Zappos. 
his leap into holacracy and what that meant for Zappos after the break. Before the break, we were discussing Zappos' contrary belief that customer service was the most important tenement to build the entire company upon. And in this case, they were right. This led Tony Shea to focus on building culture that moved together and was able to make autonomous decisions that led to the type of customer service interactions like his famous pizza story. So around 2016, Zappos announced that it was adopting a new company culture strategy. Holacracy. Now, holacracy is a method of decentralized management and organizational governance in which authority and decision-making are distributed through a holarchy of self-organizing teams rather than being vested in a management hierarchy. Yeah, here's an overview from CNN. <laughs> I don't have a title. Um, I work on the holacracy project. Research tells us that as a city doubles in size, the productivity of its citizens increased by 15%. Um, and unfortunately, the opposite tends to be true for companies. So Holacracy is our new organizational system to make Zappos run more like a city. Our CEO, Tony Shea, ratified the Holacracy Constitution about eight months ago for the company. Here's the legit one right there. <laughs> We're asking managers to distribute authority to their teams, right? And to get rid of their titles, which is an incredible ask, first of all. But we're also asking team members to step up and take ownership over their work in a way that maybe they haven't before. The idea is that when you distribute authority and you make sure that people take ownership over their work and you're not busy overseeing the work of other people, that it frees up capacity so that you can do all of those projects that you've had on your to-do list for months and months, but you just haven't had the bandwidth to do. I think people need to understand the system, the rules, like what, what we're moving into. As the director of the department, I struggled in the beginning with really finding my place within the system and understanding how is this going to work, where do I fit in, what is my job now in this process. I thought I was providing this environment already, that they had the freedom to do these things, but seeing in reality that that wasn't as clear as I thought it was to them, the growth and the leaps and bounds that they took as a team was amazing. Thanks for calling Zappos.com. This is Stephanie. How can I help you? What a lot of people have picked up on is the no managers headline, which is uh, true and false. The true part of it is there will be no more titles. So if you think about it, managers are really responsible for two separate things. One is being the technical advisor for their work, and the other is sort of the people management or people development. Um, and we all know of a manager that's been promoted because they're a great individual contributor, but may not necessarily be a great people person or people developer. Um, so in Holacracy, um, what we can do is we can split those two roles apart or decouple those two roles. Each one of these circles will have something called a lead link, and the lead link's major accountability is uh, resource distribution. Um, go ahead and put that in my Control right now. Setting priorities, uh, metrics for that circle, so that still exists. Um, it just kind of takes that people management piece out of there. The people people circle is uh, putting together a group of folks who are really passionate about professional development. These people people could not have been the former manager of that person, so you know you're getting somebody new to help you and professionally develop you. I think it's really interesting. I like the idea of it, and um, it just sounds like it's going to be really cool. 
once you get used to the system, you get to the point where you want everything to run through the system. And so when you interact with different areas that aren't in the system, things become then frustrating on the other side. Now, the media really came down on Tony for this move, continually citing that 18% of his staff left when they made this move. But Tony wasn't phased. He actually felt that this was a sign they should have moved in this direction sooner. Here's Tony on more of the philosophy behind holacracy. The media tends to focus on the holacracy aspect of it, mm -hmm. uh, whereas I'm really focused on the self-organization, self-management part of it. And so I absolutely believe self-organization, self-management is... The future companies get bigger they get more bureaucratic and there's more people to try to convince of something and so stuff just generally moves slower and it's not really any one individual's fault it's just a function of the way it's structured hierarchically and and, and how the typical structure works so that brings us to the end of our journey here uh, tony shea took on much more than zappos uh, in fact he set in motion revamping the entire downtown Las Vegas, which had been a forgotten place until yeah, six or seven years ago. That's right. I, I actually lived in Vegas through much of the rise of the downtown project. And the work that he did was nothing short of incredible. So many small businesses were born because of Tony. An entire community was built in downtown Las Vegas where really nothing had existed for years. And while the funding for tech companies has now dried up, the local community there is still thriving. Yeah, I think it's a very big understatement when I say that Tony Shea will definitely be missed. Absolutely. Thanks so much for listening to Rocketship.fm. Rocketship FM now has a premium ad-free feed. All you have to do is go to glow.fm forward slash Rocketship and subscribe. It helps support the show and it gives you an ad-free experience. You actually get an exclusive feed that you can listen to on iTunes or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Yeah, and Rocketship FM is produced in partnership with Product Collective, which is a community for software product people. Product Collective is also the home of industry, the product conference, industry virtual workshops, and one of the largest Slack groups for product people anywhere. And we're also on the Podglomerate Network, so a huge thanks to Podglomerate. You can listen to all the Podglomerate shows at thepodglomerate.com. We'll see you here next week on rocketship.fm. 